Once again, we welcome you to Moving Forward with Young Voices here on the Fed by Ravens Media Network. Very happy to welcome back to the program our friend Kat Dwyer, who is with the Property and Environment Research Center in Bozeman, Montana. She is a Young Voices contributor. And Kat, there are probably a, a couple of other things that, that I'm not mentioning. Do you want to fill us in on, on any of the other hats you wear that we haven't mentioned? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me. And um, I also am a co-host of the Whiskey Bench podcast, which you can find on any uh, streaming service where you listen to your podcasts. Excellent. Now, you have a very timely topic, given that uh, right now the western half of the United States is undergoing, uh, I think it's safe to say, historic heat wave uh, in you know we're we're having a historic heat wave and this is raising some very serious concerns about uh, about what is going to happen in terms of wildfires this year first of all i have to ask you what what has the the current fire situation been like for for the last few weeks well, fire, the fire season is in full swing, um, and it started a little earlier than it has in recent years. Um, we had a, a pretty large fire in uh, the Red Lodge area, um, which burned nearly 30,000 acres. It's about 53% contained at this point. Um, but there have been fires in Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, Utah, um, a few in California. Um, nothing, nothing catastrophic yet, um, but... It is uh, worrying because these, again, the fire season has started um, a little bit earlier than normal. Now, you know, I don't want to start any speculation here, but, you know, I joke around about, okay, maybe I should stop being skeptical about global warming. But is there a reason for, can scientists point to some reason why we're experiencing this current heat wave? Uh, you know, that's that's a that's a good question and a complicated question. Um, and I would say, you know, we certainly... Um, there's 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 some consensus that that man-made climate change is sort of extending the dry season, um, which is making wildfire seasons in places like the Western United States longer. Um, this current heat wave is is caused, you know, it's important to consider like weather is different than climate. Right. And that this current heat wave is caused by something that's called a heat dome, which is basically like a high pressure system that um, basically creates like a cap and it prevents escaping. And then it turns into this sort of vicious cycle where the hot air can't escape and it gets warmer and warmer underneath this high pressure system. Um so I don't know if, if it would be fair to say that's the directly caused by, you know, human beings emitting carbon dioxide. Um, but there, there's a it's a complex system and there's kind of a confluence of factors. Um, and I think it's also worth noting, too, that, um, you know, it's the rates of uh, heat waves in the United States. We're not necessarily seeing more of them than we did in 1900. Um but certainly what we're experiencing right now is historic within, you know, the last few decades. Um, so it's so it's definitely uh, getting people's attention across the West. 
it's probably safe to say fixing the blame really isn't uh, of, of the essence right now. I imagine that uh, those who are responsible for managing these lands and managing these forests probably are, are very occupied with trying to figure out what is the best policy in order to address the, the risk of, uh, of heavier wildfires this year. Tell me about some of the challenges that they're facing uh, because of this current heat wave. Well, the heat wave certainly is um, further drying uh, the fuel load in our forest lands, um, which makes them, you know, sort of more susceptible to to burning hotter and longer. Um, so it's kind of creating the conditions um, for a, a devastating wildfire. Um, and it's worth noting, you know, you mentioned how these lands are managed. Uh, the U.S. Forest Service manages about 193 million acres of land, um, and a lot of that is out here in the West. Um, and they report a backlog of 80 million acres in need of forest restoration and 63 million acres that are facing high or very high risk of wildfire. Um, so it's it's a very serious challenge that they're that they're facing. Um, and and it's it's something that um, the Forest Service alone can't address. Um, there's a need for for kind of a, a new approach to how we manage these lands. OK, so I'm open to ideas. Who would uh, pick up the slack? Is this going to fall more back to the states, for instance? You know, unfortunately, the states haven't done an entire they haven't done a great job of managing their forest lands either. Um, Cal fires, for example, in California, Cal Fire manages their state lands um, and they're way behind the eight ball in terms of tackling the backlog of forest restoration projects that they've set out. Um, So so um, it isn't necessarily an issue of needing to throw more money at these various state and federal agencies. Um, There's really a need for private partners to step in. Um, as I said, at the current pace, it would take about, it would take several decades to treat the, the Forest Service's backlog. Um, so there's a need for private capital. There's a need for private partners to get into these forests and help get some of this restoration done. Um, and unfortunately, there's, there's regulation in the way that prevents these partnerships from flourishing. Um, However, there are some examples where these partnerships are actually working. Um, the, the Blue Forest Conservation has been working in the Tahoe National Forest in California. That's a private outfit. And they've created this sort of innovative model um, known as the Forest Resiliency Bond, where they're pooling private capital from stakeholders like, you know, um, people who would be impacted by, by a wildfire damaging their, a watershed, um, you know, people who have an interest in keeping the forests healthy, basically pooling money from various stakeholders, private stakeholders, um, and partnering with the public land managers um, to get the resources they need, whether it's it's the cash, um, you know, or the boots on the ground, the expertise. Um, and, and these public-private partnerships are working. They're working in the Tahoe National Forest. Um, but again, there's regulation in the way that is preventing more of these partnerships from flourishing. Well, now, you know, considering what we saw um, with, for instance, uh, COVID 
there were a number of regulations that uh, stood in the way of uh, speedy responses to, you know, an emergency situation. And and some of those regulations were rolled back. In fact, I think some of them may actually have been done away with in hindsight, saying, you know, it's, it's just easier to do without them. Is there any possibility of uh, that kind of exigency uh, coming into play here and, and some of those regulations being either rolled back or done away with? You know, I think I think there is some room for optimism. Um, you know, f- years ago, it seemed like the debate around wildfires was really divided between we need to address climate change or we need forest restoration. And there seems to be more of a consensus today um, that forest restoration is needed. Um, and and I think that's that's rooted in an understanding that it, efforts to mitigate climate change will have. Um, an impact on our wildfires, on our forest health decades down the line. So not immediately. Um, So there's an increased awareness and kind of consensus on the need for this restoration if we really want to mitigate catastrophic wildfires um, in the short term. And there's also a growing acknowledgement that the Forest Service needs to change their approach. Um, They spent pretty much all the 20th century, there was, they've, the Forest Service had a of fire traffic allowed um, it, it prevented healthy natural fires, which are an important part of a forest ecosystem, um, from burning and reducing the fuel load. And so by preventing those healthy fires from burning, we have a buildup of fuel load. Um, and that means when a fire does ignite and gets out of control, it burns hotter and longer. Um, so there's an, there's an acknowledgement of that problem and of a need to change uh, the approach to how we manage these lands. Um, and I think that the agencies are more open to reducing some of these regulations barriers. Um, One, if I may give an example, uh, several states, including California, um, count the smoke from controlled burns in their clean air calculations, uh, but they don't count the smoke from wildfires. And and so this makes it harder for forest managers to conduct controlled burns, um, which is really backwards. We need more controlled burns to to clear out um, the fuel load in forests and maintain healthy forests um, and prevent catastrophic wildfires. Um, but instead, we're, we're punishing, essentially, forest managers for, for um, doing controlled burns um, and not considering the fact that the carbon emissions from, from a catastrophic wildfire that burns tens of millions of acres, I mean, that's producing a heck of a lot more carbon dioxide and pumping that into the atmosphere than a controlled burn would. Um, so that's kind of one of the, in my mind, like a no brainer regulation that should be changed. Um, and I think if we, if we made those changes, we would see it would be easier for forest managers to do some of the restoration that's needed. All right. Cat Dwyer from the uh, Property and Environment Research Center in Bozeman, Montana, as well as a Young Voices contributor. I sure appreciate your take. And uh, thanks. Let's talk again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Brian.